Hello, hi, hey with four Y's and a J, it's a drunk text. My name is Campbell Walker, sometimes I go by Streetless Online, and welcome to my new podcast. Five hits of creative lightning. The premise is that I think getting struck by lightning, getting struck by a big creative flash is more systematic than it seems. I think that there are certain things you can do, certain actions you can take that will make a eureka moment, a light bulb moment, an aha moment, if you're a Eurovision fan, just that much more accessible. And while on YouTube, I talk a lot about tactics and sometimes just go down weird rabbit holes. On this podcast, what I want to do is just showcase a big creative world. Because I think if you want to make stuff, if you want to make anything, or even if you just want to do stuff in general, you need to put good stuff in, man. And that is where this podcast comes in. The format that I want is five cool things, five stories, five ideas, five concepts that I think set your soul on fire. Yes, five hits of creative lightning. And with each one, I'll take you through the story and I'll synthesize it. I'll pull out what I think it means, what I probably want it to mean, what it actually means. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully you dig it. If you don't, well, sorry. And if you're on the fence, Get off, get down from there, it's dangerous. Why do I want to do this? Well, because I want people to be creative. And unlike the destruction of countless earrings, creativity does not happen in a vacuum. No, to put great stuff out, you got to put great stuff in your head, so to speak. Like a protein bar with a muscle man or a plant with a light. I would say creativity is unsustainable without proper fuel. Yeah, that's right, man. We've got to photosynthesize our frigging creative brains. All right, neato, Mr. Wordman. What does that actually mean? What are you talking about? Talk normal. Use less words, more examples. Yes, it means consuming great art, good ideas, good podcasts, books, movies, music, and more. Media that will teach you cool lessons or inspire you in some way. That's the hope. Anyway, I'll do my best. And these values for me, putting good stuff in your head, they are just becoming more and more important in the times of the internet. It's a personal vendetta that I have. So what this podcast is also about is not consuming stuff that makes you feel worse about yourself. Because like I said before, what you put in is what you get out. Now, this can be hard because I personally find rage-fueled comment sections absolutely irresistible in a sort of train wreckian way. You know, I see a little comment there. It doesn't matter what you see, does it, online? You know, you can see, like, the nicest video, just something that's absolutely beautiful. And uh, part of my brain's like, hey, we should uh, click on that and see what the worst people on the frickin' planet are arguing about today. And it never frickin' matters, does it? It could be, like, a sweet little puppy. And these people are, I don't know, they've somehow made it about abortion. And you're like, oh, God, (laughs) yeah, fine. I will read the 900 replies on whatever this red-hot crazy thing is. And I do. And then I waste my whole day. And I'm like, oh man, that sucks. If I had to describe this feeling to, for example, a 90-year-old, I think that I would say it's the media equivalent of sinking a six-pack and then deleting a three-day-old Big Mac and then wondering, hey, why don't I feel so good this afternoon? And the worst part is I blame myself for reading all of this. Like there aren't the best and brightest paid by the absolute worst and richest of the planet to keep me as addicted as possible. No, it's me. I'm the problem. Yeah. Next question, what do you put in your brain instead? If we're not putting in the bad stuff, you put in the good stuff, baby. So as a heavy consumer of way too much of everything over the years, I have trained my entire adult life for this moment, for this recommendation moment. Not to sound exactly like the obsessive man that you can probably picture, but I have lists upon lists upon lists of stuff that, in my dangerously uneducated opinion, ignites the creative spark. And it's been a joy collating and synthesizing all of this. And because I am a sucker for a theme and because we're doing the Alphabet Superset, everything in this episode all starts with A. So here we go. Theme song. Let's go. 
Number one, April. Not the month, a person. What's going on? Hey, welcome. Come on, come pull, pull up a... Oh, you can say that. You can say right there if you want. Sure. Whatever, that's fine. The core concept here is deciding to be better. Is it a me problem? It's a me problem. <laughs> it's a me problem. Oh, it was a me problem the whole time. April is a terminally online cynic in recovery, a chicken-owning videographer and has enough charisma to start a cult. Thank God she hasn't because I would join. She's known for her existentially charged comedy, short videos where she steps back from her 12-hour screen time and earnestly asks... What is actually happening? I feel like an alien. Underpinning all of this is the reality of who she is. You think you're better than me because your parents raised you correctly? Showed you an adequate amount of love? A clever kid who grew up without enough structure and resources. And this for me is where April transcends the confines of content and becomes a creator who I think has something to say. Recently, she started saying that something. I've been thinking a lot lately about cynicism, being a cynical person. I think if you grow up in harsh conditions, you tend to absorb cynical behaviours just as a coping mechanism. Yeah, man, she's decided to embrace and share this aspect of herself, and I, for one, like a small fire, am stoked. April, like so many Vine stars and Grammarly ads, has made the move to YouTube, where the longer format gives her a chance to explore these deeper themes that she hints at in her comedy. Sadness, existentialism, you know what I'm talking about. It's very difficult not to just be negative constantly when there are people doing better than you. People who are happier than you. People who are just like living a baseline, happier life than you. It's a relatable smorgasbord of thoughts. And I think it'll pair really well for, I don't know, anything that you want to do in life. If you're doing the alphabet superset, uh, then I think it'll pair great for that. If you are just deciding to be less cynical or better in general, then oh my goodness, you're in luck. I'm just a goofy little guy. I'm just a silly goofy little guy. Two. Amy. The core concept, dealing with rejection. Amy is a writer whose work explores creative angst in the online world. And what I love about her is how willing she is to share the not-so-shareable stuff. And last week she did that. So she posted this photo series and it had two things. The first, rejection letters from publishers. And the second, got this, glowing reviews for the book she actually went on to publish. I'll uh, read out a few of these because they're freaking, they are electric. So the rejection letters, you know, you see all the bad words you don't like seeing in emails. You got, unfortunately, because of the volume of submissions I receive, I cannot offer any critical comments on your submissions. Uh, another one's got, while we enjoyed reading your submission, we ultimately did not feel strongly enough to take it further. <laughs> I regret to say, though, that I take on very few manuscripts by new writers, and I simply don't have the time to invest in another new voice at the moment. All the bad stuff. We've all seen it. We've all got it in our inbox. You know, you see the little notification come up and the first words, unfortunately, and your heart sinks and your whole day's been ruined because you've been in limbo, like anticipatory limbo for like three weeks, hoping that something might happen, but trying not to get your hopes up and then boom, it's all over. Now, compare this to the lovely reviews. Didn't want it to end. Just the soothing balm I needed to remind me of the beauty of this life, the courage of women and the importance of being true to yourself. I'm sobbing, a masterpiece. Congratulations, Amy. I absolutely adored this book. I didn't know how much I needed it and its themes and messages in my life until I read it, and I'm so grateful I did. I find this really inspiring, hence why it made the pod. The juxtaposition is a breath of fresh air. Too often we get this one-sided story, which I think makes for a very terrible data set on which to build a workable worldview. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody either tells you that everything's brilliant or somebody either tells you that everything's awful, and you're like, oh... 
Okay, buddy, uh, that doesn't sound wrong. To elaborate, on one end of the spectrum, you got your self-described winners and their success stories. Now, these people, they have a tendency to edit their anecdotes. The mistakes get cut and the genius gets boosted. Specifically, their role as a genius. Now, success stories, yes, they can be inspiring. However, when the failures are not featured, they're often just isolating. Which is the last thing you want if you're already feeling isolated. If you're looking for inspiration, that's probably the, the square that you're starting on. It's like playing Monopoly, starting in jail and going to double jail. You're like, ah, somebody just kicks your little top hat piece off the table, puts it in actual non-Monopoly jail. You don't know how you got there. Life's over. You're on a tangent. So if that's the extreme of success stories, let's look at the other end. Yeah, nothing ever goes my way, that end. So the opposite is just as bad. Some would argue worse, some would argue a lot. We've all endured the self-pitying stories from bitter people who could have done something great if it you know, weren't for this or that or a third thing or my dad probably. While there is definitely a therapeutic value in talking through all of life's lows, that value only lasts if the insights lead to action. If it's just talking and talking and talking in circles, it doesn't take Nostradamus to see where that ends up, you know? Those are the two extremes. But this is a Goldilocks situation. Or a Malcolm situation. All the good stuff happens in the middle. The best people acknowledge the hiccups and then try in spite of them. When these people find success, the inspiration is real. And when they do make mistakes, the stories are empowering. This, to me, is the sweet spot. And I believe that Amy showcases this perfectly with her rejection letters and reviews. Three, Akintoye. Your mother dropped you hard, ain't she? Can't place a face behind a picture, Banksy. And it's the state of mayonnaise faces lately. The vicious turn the victims playing something that they can't be. The core concept here is turning hate comments into fuel. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Akintoye, in my opinion, is a generational talent. He is a god-tier lyricist and a freakishly magnetic performer. Look at my eyes. We going not like Caribbean niggas. Do we Queen Elizabeth die? Hang on with a Tyson grill. But the reason he's on this list is because of the way that he handles hate comments. Fuck you! Unsolicited nasty comments are the reality of the internet. But knowing this, it doesn't really make him sting any less. I don't know if you ever tried to rationalize your way out of somebody saying something mean, but oh no, it takes a little bit of time. But this is what makes Akintoye's work just that much more powerful. Instead of dwelling on the pain, he flips the script and he uses it as fuel. Faith, so if you took a look at a book, you would get it. But you have a hook in your soul, in your spirit. And I don't even blame you, you a symptom of the sickness. Keep the cockazoid tears, bitch, we ain't trying to hear it. The music that he turns these comments into, it's already brilliant by virtue of his talents, but the extra layer of karmic justice just makes all of these hate comments look that much more pathetic, as pathetic as they truly are, man. It's beautiful. The question I get asked the most, besides when's the album dropping, is how do I pronounce your name? And it's actually pretty simple. But what's in the name? Step a piece of a puzzle, nobody asks if you want it, now tell me what's in the name? Acquisition to glisten, it ain't a risk if you flaunt it, now tell me what's in the name? Generational pain, catch your breath at the light, double park at the lane, tune them out when they talking, if y'all ain't walking the same, or you gon' fucking insane, to live and die truly, what in the same? How do you pronounce the fucking name? Oh, it's Akintoye. This is the work of a man who is making a world that I want to live in. Four, the action motivation loop. The core concept here is overcoming procrastination. 
Action leads to motivation. It's a simple but powerful concept and I've spoken about it a lot and I'll do it again. Now, it is always lovely when you have a cool origin story as to how you learned a concept, but I don't. No, I've got a quite uncool one. I read it in the global best-selling self-help mega-hit and airport bookshop staple, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F Paint Splatter CK by Mark Manson of the Manson family. Side note, uh, this is so irrelevant, but uh, I, th I thought this was interesting. Did you know that there were two cult leaders called Charles Manson? Sorry, the Manson thing made me think of it. I'm sure he gets this all the time. Hey, what was it like growing up in the Manson family? Ha ha ha. Bet you never heard that before, Mark. No, let's cut back to Charles. There were two cult leaders called Charles Manson. This is weird. This is really weird. Okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Obviously, one of the Charles Mansons, the famous one, he was a cult leader. But the other Charles Manson, who was born about a century before the Manson murders, that guy was not a cult leader, technically. However... Where the cool fact comes in is that they are both part of the same Wikipedia list called Founders of New Religious Movements. And therefore, I came to my unreliable fact. Two Charles Mansons were cult leaders. Spread the rumor. It's 1000% true. I've fact-checked everything. No, I haven't. Where were we? We were talking inspiring stuff. Action comes before motivation. In a nutshell, the myth of motivation is that we need it in order to do other stuff. And so we wait for it to strike, and when it does, well, that is when we can spring into action. Yes. Of course, when you spell out this concept, it makes the flaws painfully obvious. Like the very likely scenario that if you didn't feel it, or if what you felt wasn't enough to constitute as motivation, you wouldn't do anything. I'm sure we've all been there. We've all had days like that. Some of us years, some of us me, handcuffed to a giant bong. And that little phase grew up to be seven years. And Elon Musk. Yes, the unchecked belief that motivation is needed to begin something, a project, or even just getting off the couch, it is a belief that becomes a very painful life. The theoretical solution is action comes first, then motivation follows. So go act, do it, do it now. Come on, why aren't you doing it? And that's why it's a theoretical solution. I wouldn't mind a few instructions, you know? The practical solution. Oh man, take your pick. There are so many books that are written about how to spring yourself into action. I've made a bunch of videos about this. There's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's like, if there are hundreds of solutions, the problem isn't solved. And I'd say that procrastination half falls into that category, but also it half doesn't because there's by and large some stuff that seems to help a lot of people. And it's all the classic stuff you hear about, you know, setting little timers, countdown timers, Pomodoro clocks, journaling, turning off your Wi-Fi, putting your phone in a drawer, counting down from five. That's one of those weird ones that you don't expect to work. I think it was the Mel Robbins who... I don't know, is a little bit too LinkedIn for my liking. However, I do find that she's got some brilliant ideas, one of which is counting backwards from five. From the second you have that idea, you've only got five seconds to take action. Otherwise, it's gone. And even when Mel Robbins herself talks about it, she wrote a whole book about this, she can't say it without first disclaiming that it is really, really, almost like offensively simple. Notice I said simple. I didn't say easy. But it does work on one condition. You don't let yourself ever off the hook. Otherwise, you give yourself that option. And procrastination is just very greedy. Oh, my goodness. But my belief is when it comes to procrastination that all of these techniques and stuff, they boil down to two things. The first one is just start. And the second one is know what to start on. Five. Albert Camus. The core concept to see work as spiritually fulfilling. Like most neurotic people, I'm a sucker for an Albert Camus quote. 
you aren't familiar with Camus, French philosopher, mid-century, wrote a lot of books like The Plague, The Fall, The Stranger, The Myth of Sisyphus, Nobel Prize winner, heavy hitter when it comes to absurdism, existentialism, bit of a spiritual successor to Nietzsche. Anyway, here's the quote. Without work, all life goes rotten. But when work is soulless, life stifles and dies. Albert Camus. What I love about this quote is the distinction between work and soulless work. I will say that what I don't love is when work is interpreted to exclusively mean a job, just because paid non-soulless jobs, they're pretty far from common. In fact, I suspect that there is no job out there that doesn't have at least some element of soullessness. So with this lens, I find that the quote just reads as elitist and delusional, and that wasn't exactly his speed. Also, the irony of me critiquing Camus and saying that he's the pretentious one is not lost on me. Instead, I see this quote, which I'll repeat so it's fresh in your head. Without work, all life goes rotten, but when work is soulless, life stifles and dies. I see work here as code for a creative outlet. To add some gray area, I see this creative outlet as capable of offsetting whatever soulless paid work we inevitably encounter. In more of an example, your outlet could be drawing or music, and your soulless thing could be scrubbing dishes. That is straight out of my own biography for however long those seven stony years were lasting. So to borrow the terms from the Camus-verse, I like to liken the bad work, the soulless work, as Sisyphus, and then the good work, the soul-filling work, as Camus writing about Sisyphus. And this for me is where the quote hits the hardest. The soulless work stops killing the soul when it's used to fuel the good stuff. So that is five things. What do you think? Don't answer that because I can't hear you. That's how these mediums work. What's all that about? This should be a telephone call. No, I really hope that you did enjoy that. If you are having not a beautiful day and you've put this on and you're hoping to get some sort of hit of hope, ah, oh man, it is such, uh, such, such a horrible feeling when you're like, oh, I just really want the good feelings to come. I really want the good feelings to come. But then the couch has this like weird magnetic pull on you. And then all of a sudden your phone's in front of your face and you're scrolling like the worst things ever. And you're like, I'm sinking, I'm sinking, I'm sinking into the couch. But yes, when you are in the depression cinematic universe, it is so so hard so the fact that you've even put this on and you've decided to put something good into your head is freaking amazing that is step one you've done it that's good if you haven't brushed your teeth or drank some water today that's step two step three will show itself after that but they're never big steps they're always tiny and when you've done them they're done that is one less thing to do and everything else gets a little bit easier be the freaking snowball baby it's really hard even when everything's going right it's hard the brain is hard Modern living's hard. We weren't built for this, so we gotta all look out for each other. And that's why I made this pod. If you like it, I'll see you next week. Catch ya.